Hey, thanks for checking out the Reveal Vineyard podcast. Here at Reveal, our mission is simple. Find God, find others, and find yourself. For more information, visit us online at revealvineyard.com. Well, we've been on a series that we've called We Are, and we've been looking at the various aspects that make us who uh, we are as a church. Uh, and I don't have time to review any of those things, but uh, you can listen to them on podcasts or you can listen to them uh, on our, uh, through our website. Uh, and today we're going to kind of shift gears a little bit. And I hope that my message today would remind not only who we are as a church, but also who you are as an individual in a message that I've titled, We Are Blessed. Go ahead and put up that title slide if you would, please. When studying the life and ministry of Jesus, it's important to have a basic understanding of the political and spiritual climate that Jesus stepped into. There's a 400-year gap between uh, the close of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. And during that time, a number of things began to change. For one, uh, Jewish population began to grow. They began to uh, migrate back into their homeland to worship together after a large Jewish dispersion that uh, took place as they were dispersed throughout uh, the land. Uh, they found themselves at this time during this 400-year block uh, under the uh, oppression of the Roman Empire. Soon the Roman Empire fell to uh, Alexander the Great who swept through and kind of uh, took over. Uh, and they found themselves uh, in this uh, period of resisting. Alexander the Great dies, and now uh, Hellenistic uh, Empire was divided into three main empires. One of the great leaders that came to the forefront, who was great in name, not great in deed, was Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, who was most known for trying to uh, step on the Jewish faith. And he went through uh, great, uh, with great rage of trying to wipe out uh, the distinctive characteristics of the Jewish faith. He uh, outlawed the remembrance of the Sabbath and various celebration of feast days and uh, the, the act of circumcision and uh, one of his most brutal acts that eventually led to his downfall. He uh, desecrated the holy temple and the Jews revolted against him. Uh, in 167 BC, they gained their freedom for a short period of time, but on the horizon was a new power that they would have to contend with, and it was the unstoppable force of Rome that stepped in, brought new oppression, and this is where they find themselves when Jesus steps onto the scene. Uh, if you look throughout the history of uh, the Jewish people. They've been persecuted and oppressed by both the Egyptians and the Philistines and the Canaanites and the Moabites and uh, their, their uh, catalog of their tormentors include the Persians and the Babylonians and the Greeks and the Romans and uh, their history of persecution would fill volumes. And through it all, the Jews waited for their Redeemer. They waited for uh, their Deliverer that was promised in the Old Testament that He would come and He would free them from oppression. And so generation after generation, they waited for their Deliverer. But instead of a Deliverer, instead of experiencing the blessing of God, they only knew frustration and oppression, a military defeat, and a religious system uh, that had repeatedly beat them down. Now, uh, the religious system at the time had turned largely uh, political. It was established on rules and regulations. As we talked last week, they were segregated into the spiritual haves and the spiritual have-nots. And 
Although most Jews wanted a sincere encounter with God, the hoops placed before them were beyond their means. And so uh, at this time in history, most Jews had kind of resigned themselves to the fact that maybe God is never coming. Maybe this Messiah, the Deliverer, will not come and God will never speak. And maybe we have been forgotten and they've kind of just given up on this whole idea of ever really encountering uh, the goodness and the presence of God again. That 400-year gap of silence. Jesus makes his appearance. He steps into this political and religious scene and he quickly grabs the attention of the community because of his miracles and the mysteries that are surrounding him. Matthew 4 tells us that uh, his fame grew quickly as he was healing those who were brought to him with various diseases and oppressed by demons. And, and on one particular day, word gets out that Jesus is going to have, uh, give a speech and everyone was invited. His uh, opening topic was who are blessed by God, what it means to be blessed by God. And the crowds begin to gather. They cluster together on a hillside outside of Galilee. Galilee. I want you to uh, picture the scenes as people continue to flood in with blankets and chairs and tents and igloo coolers. It was the first God stock is going on, right? Everyone is gathering. And to no one's surprise, the people just keep gathering. They just keep coming. Author Dallas Willard says that there were two prevailing concerns in the crowd that day. The first concern was, what will this new kingdom of God be like that Jesus was going to present to the people? The other one was, who will qualify to be part of it? And what everyone wanted to know is, how will this new system differ from the old system, a system that was ruled by the religious nobility, a system that had all but excluded access to God? And the crowd waited and they wondered, what if I want to be part of this kingdom, but what if the kingdom doesn't want to be a part of me? And so they are torn and they're hopeful that they qualify, but fearing a system that will place God even further out of reach. And so Jesus clears his throat and a hush falls upon the crowd. And Jesus begins to speak to those who feel like they could never measure up and to the spiritually frustrated who believe that they don't have what it takes and to those who have been, been repeatedly on the, on the, on the uh, receiving end of a spiritual beatdown. Jesus begins to speak and he steps into the moment and speaks an unexpected word over the poor and over the powerless and over the lost and over the lonely. Jesus pronounces a blessing to the least expectant recipients. And with one phrase, Jesus flips religion when he says, you, the poor and the forgotten and the broken and the powerless, you are in fact blessed by God. The first words out of Jesus' mouth were a game changer. You are blessed. Now, it had to be a double take moment. I want you to place yourself in the religious and the political system of, of the day. No one was feeling blessed by God at this time. You could see, almost see a mother corralling her children who, 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 who stopped, looks up, face bewildered. Did she hear him correctly? The outcast from society smiles in anticipation. The poor and the sick and the forgotten and the ashamed stand to their feet in hopes of hearing it again. And with one phrase, Jesus changes the answer to the question, who is blessed by God? And in a teaching that is counterintuitive to us today, as it was a mystery to the first century hearers, 
to the lowly and to the common and to the poor and to the ordinary. Jesus speaks over those. He speaks over those who have been forgotten by religion. He says, you are blessed. We said last week that Jesus is always calling to the front those who religion pushes to the back. And he demonstrates it again. So I want us to unpack his teaching in Matthew 5 as we break this down to answer the question, who are blessed? Matthew 5, verse 3. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now our emotional response to the word poor is never favorable. Right? There, there's, there's, uh, he's in poor health, not a good thing. Poor finances, not a good thing. Poor little child, not a good thing. No one wants to be poor at anything. We, we want excess and we want abundance. The words that Jesus speaks, they, they do confound us. Now in order to grasp what Jesus is about to drop, he knows that something needs to happen, that, that perspective needs to change. And what he is basically doing is in, inviting the hearers to change just slightly enough, to draw close to him enough that their perspective might change, that they would actually see what they have been missing. See, poor in spirit means that in every season of life, we recognize our dependence upon God. Now, it means that we recognize that we do not have the spiritual resources needed to overcome. So our, in our poverty of spirit, we depend on him. Now, we don't like this word dependence. We like independence. We like to be self-sufficient and a self-made man and a self-made woman. Yet Jesus tells us that you are actually blessed when you recognize that your resources are not sufficient for your needs if it drives you to someone greater than yourself. Blessed, he says, fortunate, favored are those who understand they cannot navigate the storm alone or stand under the pressure unassisted. Blessed is he, fortunate is she, who recognizes when the situation is beyond them. There's a verse in the Bible, possibly one of the misquoted in Scripture. And typically when people are stressed and, and, and stirred, they'll say something like this. I know that God won't give me more than I can handle. And it sounds really good. The problem is it's not in the Bible. The passage that they're returning, referring to is uh, 1 Corinthians 10, where it says that God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can handle. And we flipped that a little bit and said, well, God won't give me more than, than I can handle. And the truth is, you having more than you can handle, God would say, that's not always a bad thing if it drives you back to me. And sometimes having more than you can handle causes you to realize that you, that I can't do this on my own, and it draws us to our creator who can sustain us through that storm. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. He continues, he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now we would have to ask ourselves, who says something like this? I mean, who looks at the morning and says, you are in fact blessed? If you've lost anyone in your life, did you feel very blessed at that moment? Jesus calls us again to a different perspective. Mourners are people who are emotionally connected. So what are you saying is blessed or fortunate or happy are those who mourn because you lived a life in such a way that you loved so deeply, you were so invested in another person's life that when they left this world, it left a hole in you. Now Jesus is not minimizing the pain, but he's celebrating the relationship. 
He said that blessed are those who mourn because you had people in your life so close to you that when they left, it hurt you. But that type of relationship, Jesus says, it's actually a blessing. See, because here would be the opposite of what he says. Unhappy are those who build a wall around their lives and let no one in. Unfortunate is the one who invests in no one. Unhappy are those with relationships that are shallow and superficial. You may escape this life without mourning, but you will have lived a superficial life. And so Jesus says, let's just change perspective a little bit. That you've had people in your life that you've loved so deeply that you are actually, the, those who mourn are actually blessed because that relationship was that meaningful and that deep as opposed to a relationship that was superficial without meaning. He goes on to say, blessed are those who mourn. And then he says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now our response to this word uh, is typically negative. When we hear meekness, we think weakness. We think being um, submissive and easily imposed upon. But several meanings, but I want to focus on the meaning of humility. Here's what Jesus is saying. When meekness. Meekness is the proper estimation or valuation of oneself within the broader context of God's creation and love. He's saying blessed are those who understand that they're part of God's creation, that they're part of God's plan, but they're not the center of God's creation and the center of God's plan. In other words, fortunate are those who are not always striving to be in the spotlight. Fortunate are those who do not run in front of God seeking greater visibility and greater recognition, but instead are willing to bloom where you have been planted. Jesus says, blessed are the meek, the humble, for they understand that they're part of God's plan, but they're not the center of God's plan. He continues. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Jesus is asking the question, do you want to live a life that is blessed? And the answer of the entire crowd as it would be with us today is, of course, we want a life that is blessed. And Jesus is telling us, here's how you build a life of blessing. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The older I get, the more that I'm reminded that you will never regret doing the right thing. Matter of fact, if you think back throughout your life, Think back on your regrets and think back to those what, were I, what was I thinking moments. They never revolve around something that you did right. They're always around something that you did wrong. And if you and I could go back in time, the things that we would change are never the things that we did right, but they're always the things that we did, our emotions led us to do wrong. And Jesus reminds us that if you pursue righteousness, if you pursue what is right, that you will be blessed. Here's, here's what Jesus knows. He reminds us, the person with the greatest potential in your life to undermine the life that you desire is you. Now we have a spiritual enemy that wants to kill, steal, and destroy. I get it, we spoke about that not too long ago. But the person in this life, the person who has the greatest potential to derail the life that you want is you is me. I have the greatest potential to derail the life that I'm hoping to have. And Jesus says, I understand that. And if you pursue what is right, you will be blessed. Because we have that potential. You bought it, and now you can't pay for it. You leased it, you drank it, you smoked it, you said it, you disobeyed it, you dated it, you married it. 
I could put I for all those things as well. And now we've derailed the life that we want. And Jesus said, let's just take a step back. Let's just change perspective a little bit. That you will be blessed if you pursue what is right. It goes on in verse 7. He says, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. He says, blessed are fortunate who those of those, uh, are, are those who are relationally generous and give to others what they do not deserve. Mercy. He says, blessed are those who are not obsessed with revenge. Happy are those who do not take pleasure in the pain of others. Happy and blessed are those who do not hold grudges, who are not constantly calling up the past. Here's something to think about. I would venture to say that you have never met a bitter person in your life who was happy. You have probably never met a person surrounded and wrapped in unforgiveness who was happy. Jesus knows something. That ultimately, mercy and forgiveness is really not about the other person, but it is about your spiritual well-being. Jesus understands that extending mercy is not saying that what someone did to you was no big deal. It's not minimizing what they did. It's not pretending like it didn't occur. What Jesus is saying is that when you offer mercy, when you offer forgiveness, when you are merciful... It's not about the other person winning. It's in fact about you winning. Because when you receive to give mercy and instead hold on to bitterness and unforgiveness, Jesus says, you are the one who is dying, not the other person. And in a brilliant presentation, Jesus says, look, I know you want to have a blessed life and here's how it looks. You're going to need to step away from always being right and you're going to need to step into mercy because it's for your own good. And here's the thing. Extending mercy and forgiveness, grace, mercy, your emotions will never lead you there. Meaning your spirit is going to need to do what your flesh does not want to do. My flesh will always lead me towards hatred and anger and bitterness. That's why Paul says, look, there's a struggle going on in me and I beat my flesh to make it my slave. What is he saying? That my spirit would rule over my flesh because my flesh never wants to do what is right. Jesus, understanding this, says... Extend mercy, and you will receive the very mercy that you want in your own life. He's brilliant in this approach. Verse 8, he said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, if Jesus was asked the question, Who wants to see God? every hand would have gone up. If I would ask the question, Who wants to see God? every hand would go up. We often think of this meaning in an afterlife, but Jesus is ex- expanding that a little bit. I think I was 18 when I first put on glasses, and I realized that from 14 on to 18, I was pretty much blind. And I remember putting on glasses for the first time. You remember if if you waited a long time to get glasses. I remember putting on glasses for the first time, and suddenly those things that were always there became visible to me. They were always there, but I missed them, right? They were out of focus, or, or I just didn't see it all together. Another way to look at it is when you bought your a new car, and you drove it off the lot, suddenly you begin to see that model and that same color everywhere. They'd always been there, but you never had eyes to see it. And this is kind of what Jesus is getting at. He says, those whose hearts are purified by faith, meaning it's nothing you can do on your own. Those whose hearts are purified by faith, God begins to come into focus. God who has always been there, who has always been working, but you didn't have eyes to see, he begins to come into focus. Now, it's important to understand that 
A pure heart is not something we can manufacture on its own. Jesus is not talking about behavior modification. He's talking about surrendering, allowing him at the center of your life, and just allowing him to begin the transformation process. And he says those whose hearts are purified by faith, they begin to see the activity and the presence of God around them. And then in verse 9, he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now again, think about the people in your life. Do you know any happy troublemakers who are perpetually causing trouble? Typically the answer to that is no. Now God's desire is to make peace with us, right? That's why he gave of himself. He gave his son. It's the story of the cross. It's the story of the resurrection. And what is going on here is that when we are peacemakers, we are acting much like our Father, extending peace. And Jesus says that when you are a peacemaker, you are as a son or a daughter of God because you are following, we could say, in your Father's footsteps. Again, Jesus is asking us to change our perspective. It's not about you worrying who's getting over you, who's getting over one on you. It's not about me worrying about settling the score. It's not about fighting to be right. And Jesus says the secret to building a blessed life, he says, happy are the reconcilers. He says, blessed are those who walk into a broken relationship and seek to make peace, for they are the children of God. Look, even if you take the divinity of Christ away, you have to look at his teaching and say, he's pretty brilliant. I mean, there's so much wisdom that he's dropping on people who were religiously stale. I mean, their eyes had to be lighting up like, we've never heard this before. And he steps in, if you want to be a blessed life, blessed are the peacemakers. And then he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. And this is where you would say, all right, Jesus, you took it too far. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Persecution and blessed, they don't go together. And if Jesus was on a marketing firm that was seeking to design a new billboard that would attract followers to a new religion, somebody would have fired him. They'd have been like, Jesus, this is possibly the worst idea we ever heard. To say that you are blessed when you're persecuted for righteousness, people aren't going to buy it. But let's unpack that a little bit. That the idea here of persecuted really means to be pursued aggressively. Think of it as a hunter going after his or her prey. Aggressively chased is that idea. So blessed are those who are aggressively chased because of doing acts of righteousness. Here's what we're going to discover at some point of life. That you're going to suffer in life for either doing the right thing or doing the wrong thing. But you can only be blessed on one side of that equation. In other words, if I do wrong, then I live with that. And I live with the remorse of why did I do it? Why did I cheat on my taxes? Why did I lie? Why did I steal? Why did I keep this hidden and now it's found out and the wife knows or the boss knows, lost a job, government, whatever that looks like, church knows. I live with the ramifications of doing what was wrong. But Jesus said, if you're pursued, right? If I do wrong and I'm pursued by a boss or a wife or a church comes after me because I've done wrong, that's on me. I've done it. But Jesus said, if you're pursued, persecuted for doing the right thing, for acting in righteousness, you rest knowing that you are not only at peace with God, but that you are at peace with yourself. Here's what he says. Blessed are those who are pursued because of righteousness. Blessed are those who pursue righteousness even when it costs them something. 
In other words, I didn't get the promotion because I was not willing to do something unethical. I lost a promotion and Jesus says, you are actually blessed because you pursued righteousness. And when you go to sleep at night, you know that you are right before God and you are right with yourself and you cannot put a price on that. He says, blessed are those who lost the sale because you were too honest. Blessed are those who lost the relationship because you wouldn't blank. He says, let's just change perspective a little bit here. You may be persecuted for doing what was wrong and you deserve that. But if you're persecuted for doing what was right, you are actually blessed because you are in right standing with your creator and with yourself. And that, Jesus is saying, is priceless. And then when he finishes this brilliant speech, he touches on a few other topics. And in Matthew 7, he wraps all of this up because he knows our propensity to hear and not do. And here's what he says. Matthew 7. Everyone then who hears these words of mine, now you got to understand when they're hearing the words, they are sucking them up. This is life to them, right? No one's ever taught like this. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And he goes on to say, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it jesus says look i get it i know where you're at i know you've been on the spiritual side of a beat down and so i'm here to present to you a new kingdom and i get it that you want to live a life that is blessed and here's what he says it starts with me He would say the same thing to us. I I get it. You wanted to live a life that is blessed. And here's where it starts. It starts with me. In other words, there's no quick fix to a blessed life. Hear me. There's no quick fix to a blessed life. We tell our children growing up. If, If you look at your mother and I, if you look at our relationship and think it's healthy, which I hope they see that it's healthy, it didn't happen overnight. It was built over time with one decision after another, one decision after another, until you finally get to a point where you're, you're experiencing that which you want to experience, a blessed life. In other words, the blessed life is more of an outcome. It is the result of putting into practice the truth of Jesus that leads to a result later. Here's what I found often in ministry. People who approach me and say, look, I tried Jesus for three months. And nothing changed. You see, Jesus uses this analogy of building for a reason. Because the building process is lengthy and it takes time. And it's one small act upon another that eventually builds the house. Here's what Jesus would say to us today. If you've spent a lifetime sowing into dysfunction, whatever that looks like, and we've all sown into dysfunction, myself included, If you've sown a lifetime into a life of not being blessed, how can you expect it all to change by sowing into righteousness for three months and expecting the scales to balance out? In other words, Jesus is saying, it will be a building process, but if you commit to the process of the foundation, he says, you will have the blessed life that you are seeking. In other words, he says, you sow and you reap your way there. 
You sow your way there by being a peacemaker. You sow your way there by, by being someone who extends mercy. You sow your way there by someone who pursues righteousness. You continue to sow your way there, and eventually you reap the reward. Everyone, if I ask, everyone in here would want to bless life. And Jesus says, here's what it looks like. That you are actually blessed by God. And here's what God asks of you. And here's how God's blessing flows to you. And if we're honest, if we take a step back, what is requested here is really just basic wisdom. Is really just basic spirituality. And Jesus says, here is what it means to have a blessed life. Everyone wants to do the above ground work. Everyone wants to see the house. Nobody wants to build the foundation. And Jesus says, look, the foundation of your life is what's going to matter. And the outside of your life can look great, but if there's crazy in the foundation, it's just a matter of time before that house falls. And Jesus invites us to build a foundation so that we would be those called blessed. Why don't you stand with me? Moms, I want you to have a blessed day today. Maybe you need to change your perspective on some things to see some of the blessings that maybe you've lost sight of. I think maybe all of us need to change our perspective and look at things from a different vantage point. As you leave today, I want to encourage you to take some photos out in the lobby. Uh, It's for families and singles or couples. doesn't matter. We'll take your photo. It's free. I'm available for rent if you want me in your photo. This is a small $10 fee. Let's, um, let's pray. Um, I love this talk of yours, God. Because regardless of whether people have an objection to the church or objection to religion or the Christian faith, you, you can't look at this teaching and, and, and say, Jesus didn't know what he was talking about. It's brilliant in what was presented. And I love the fact that you went to those who were forgotten and those with the past and those who were scarred and those who were wounded and those who were forgotten and those who were pushed to the back from uh, religion, pushed to the back, and yet you call them and you call us forward and say, the Father is waiting to bless you. And it's okay to be poor in spirit. And it's okay to extend mercy. And it's good to pursue righteousness. And you should be a peacemaker. It's even okay to be persecuted for doing righteousness. So today, my hope is is that we would submit ourselves to you. That we would center ourselves on you. That we would be people who are living a life that is Jesus-centered. And so we open ourselves to you. Maybe for some of us, there's an area that maybe we need to repent on. Maybe there's an area that, that, that... we, we've missed and the Spirit of God is calling you back into that area. Maybe it's extending mercy or forgiveness or maybe it's being a peacemaker. Maybe it's pursuing righteousness. Would you just present yourself 
the Father God who loves you and wishes to bless you. Today, church, I speak a blessing over you. And I pray that his face would shine upon you. I pray that his presence surrounds you. I pray that his peace would comfort you. I pray that he would be to each of you what it is that you're needing. That he would show himself in your area of struggle. I pray for your ability to step out in faith and to trust even when all answers have not been revealed. I bless you. In the name of our good God, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you guys. Grab some photos on your way out. We'd love to do that. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms. Ladies, have a wonderful Woman's Day, whatever that's going to look like for you. Uh, Go slow to the restaurant. Let me get there before you. God bless you guys. Hey, if you're uh, a guest, we'd love to, I'd love to meet you up front, down front here. If you're a guest or if you'd like prayer, we'll have some people pray for you.